0: Our passage is from John 21, verses 15 to 19, and it's an encounter with Peter. Uh, Peter encounters Jesus on many occasions, of course, some of the others did too, Uh, but this is a post-resurrection encounter. Uh, It's at the very end of the last chapter of the book of John, uh, this is after they had uh, decided to go back to Galilee and go back to fishing for a while, the fishing business. And uh, Jesus appeared to them. You see, after the resurrection, Jesus only appeared occasionally. He was never with them, really, day to day anymore. And it was 40 days, so there were gaps in this time. Well, uh, the final time is they decided to go back to Galilee, And, of course, they were out fishing, and Jesus appeared on the shore. And this is part of that passage. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. What we're about to hear is God's word. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. May the Lord bless this great, infallible truth to all of our hearts. Um... I've often heard people say, and I've read it often in a book, that Jesus took 12 fishermen and turned the world upside down. From this small group, we are now have, some have estimated anyway, 2 billion people who at least identify with the Christian faith. Only God knows how many are sincere about their faith. But that's quite a, quite a development, isn't it? But you know what? They weren't all fishermen. Probably half of them were, and maybe a few more than that. Um, at least one of them, we know, worked for the IRS. <laughs> he uh, was a tax collector, Matthew, tax collector. He must have been an accountant of some kind. And there were probably other, uh, other uh, trades and uh, professions represented among them. But even among the fishermen, there was a variety of personalities, right? Right? Uh, we're talking about impetuous Peter tonight. But there was that reflective John. You know. John, you know, he begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning, before anything existed. His mind goes all the way back there. And he talks about the, the word who, who became flesh. The word by which the world was created now is among us. He was, he was the thinker among them. And, of course, we know about Thomas. The uh, reluctant uh, believer he, uh, he we call him the doubter don't we there was a rich variety these are all given us for our enrichment aren't they so tonight when Peter confronts Jesus actually Jesus is confronting Peter with the question isn't he remember he's confronting you and me I want you to hear Jesus say to you as he said to Peter Do you love me? And wonder what your response would be. Would it be similar to Peter's? Or would it be different? So tonight we're going to talk about the Apostle Peter. And I don't know if we have the outline. We lost it, didn't we? Oh, okay. Here we are. Uh, Encounter with Jesus by Peter. First, the contrasting personal traits. I won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but um, to get a a feel of who who Peter was and what he was like. The first one, this great statement of faith that Peter makes. You know, Peter was a man of contrast, wasn't he? He made noble statements of faith and then uh, very shameful uh, acts of, of... the unbelief of rejection of Jesus. So he's a contrasting personality, and in that regard, of course, he's like all of us are. We're all that way, really. We have our high points, where we're ready to speak for Jesus, convictionally. And other times, we shrink back and miss opportunities to witness for Jesus. That's the way Peter was. Let's first of all look at some of the great statements of faith Uh, Remember when Jesus asked the disciples to tell him what people's opinions were concerning him. What do people say about me? And they must have reflected on this for a little while and thought, well, what are some of the best things that are people saying about Jesus? And they said, well, some people uh, identify you with Elijah, that noble prophet who faced up to Ahab and Jezebel at the risk of his own life. Hmm? Others say, you know, he reminds us of Jeremiah because he was the weeping prophet, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Uh, some say, well, it's like John the Baptist. Well, even Herod thought <clears throat> that Jesus may have been John the Baptist coming back to life. Um, but then Jesus says, but what about you? That's really what he was getting at, wasn't he? Uh, What do you say? And of course, Peter stands up, the spokesman, the aggressive one. he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, in that context, that was a profound statement. Because when Peter identifies Jesus as the son of God, the savior, the promised Messiah the Christ, the anointed of the Father, he's identifying Jesus with the great promise to Abraham that some descendant of Abraham would be a blessing to the whole world. Right? He's identifying Jesus with David, the greatest king in Israel's history, the greater son of the great king David. It's a profound statement. So... um, you know, Peter was a man of conviction, apparently. He certainly was ready to speak on behalf of the Lord and testify as to who Jesus really was. Great statement of faith. Another one. In John 6, verses, uh, in the second half of the long, that very long chapter, that's the one where Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. And he reminds the people of the wilderness wandering, where God provided manna from heaven to sustain a nation so that they could enter eventually the promised land. Because they had a mission. It was through that nation that Abraham's promise, the promise of God to Abraham, would be fulfilled and the Messiah would finally be revealed. And Jesus makes this wonderful comparison. He said, as as Moses and his people were supplied with manna from heaven. Now the real spiritual manna, the bread from heaven, is with you in person. And he said, "If those who eat of me and drink of me spiritually, they will have a life-giving renewal. They will have life indeed." So uh, it was in that in that context. Jesus finally comes to the point and stresses the metaphor all the way out to, to the point where he says, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have life in your, in, in your, eternally within you. And it's at that point a lot of the people yeah, could not understand just what Jesus was saying. So they started drifting away. And they got down to a smaller and smaller group. You see, there are three years in Jesus' ministry. His, the, the year of his revelation, the year of his popularity. Thousands flocked to hear him. The year of his rejection. And in the year of his rejection, people started drifting away. They said, Lay, we can't understand what he's saying. Talking about eternal, the bread of life from heaven and identifying it with himself. And then Jesus says to the disciples, okay, people are drifting away now, but what about you? And it's Peter again who makes a great statement. He says, Lord, we don't have anywhere else to go. To whom shall we go? You have the word of eternal life. Great statement of faith once again. Another... Um, Jesus had established the sacrament of Holy Communion. It merged out of the Passover, you know. And in the process, he became rather sad, and he started saying some startling things. He said, I'm going away now. In a little while, you won't see me, and then in a little while, you will see me again. And this stunned the disciples. And Peter had to ask questions. He said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus responds by saying, well, where I'm going, you cannot come. And Peter, again, the boastful one says, Lord, uh, you can't get away from me. I will follow you anywhere. I'm characterizing the statements, of course. Um, he says, Lord, I'm staying. I will follow you everywhere. I will lay down my life for you. Remember, Jesus had said, no greater friend can be a friend than the one who is willing to lay down his life for his friend. And now Peter says, look, I will lay down my life for you. Well, Jesus' response, of course, was quite unexpected. He said, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Even the other disciples couldn't imagine that. Um, The other disciples acknowledged that Peter was a faithful one, and he would be willing to lay down his life. But Jesus says there'll come a time when the shepherd will be stricken and the sheep will wander. And he he told the disciples flat out that they would not be faithful to the end, at least to the end of Jesus' terminal physical life, that he was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But that very night, said Jesus, Peter would deny him, which bring us, of course, to that other extreme in his life, this contrasting trait. And you know about that as well, don't you? Peter followed afar off when Jesus was seized and brought to the court of the high priest. But he was inquisitive enough to be close enough to the, the happenings in that event. And he was approached and said, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? Your dialect is Galilean. huh? And he denies it. And then a young maid, just a teenage girl, <laughs> comes and makes the same observation. Weren't you with Jesus too? Aren't you identified with him? And he denies it with an oath. When it says curses and swearing, it's probably the swearing of an oath rather than the kind of cursing that uh, we usually identify with that. And another time he has the opportunity to admit that he is a friend of Jesus. And he denies it once again. And that rooster crow. He must have remembered the time when Jesus said, Anyone who's ashamed of me before the Heavenly Father, I will also be ashamed of him. And Peter, of course, wept with bitter tears. Eh, This was the kind of a person he was. And he's too much like the rest of us, aren't we? We have our high moments when we rejoice in our commitment to Christ, and other times we shrink back and lose opportunities of standing by our Lord. Which brings us, of course, to the major portion of our concern namely the peter's qualifications for discipleship because that's really what's happening here jesus remembers about to leave about to ascend to heaven and he's about to commission his disciples to turn the world upside down and he wants to know that they're they are committed and the qualifications for commitment is love. So Jesus asked Peter, do you, do you truly love me more than these? Uh, often you hear, you hear your pastor say that the original language really helps us understand things a little more clearly. Well in this instance, believe it or not the, the original language doesn't help at all because that word for these, is rather indefinite. It can be neutral, meaning things, these things. It can be uh, masculine or feminine, which means these persons. So when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? Maybe, maybe that's the way to interpret it. Because after all, it wasn't long before before uh, Peter had said, though all the others forsake you, yet will not I. And now Jesus says, well, do you love me more than these other disciples? I happen to think that it's neutral, it's neuter, that it means, do you love me more than these things? That is, these commercial fisher, fishermen's business concerns. Because remember, Peter was impatient. And for a brief period... Maybe two, three weeks, Jesus didn't show up. And Peter in patience says, I'm going fishing. Now, that was not recreational fishing. (laughs) He said, listen, Jesus is no longer among us. I can't wait any longer. I'm going back to my old business. Because that's what they were. They were commercial fishermen. They were businessmen, you know. They had a market and distribute their, their, their catches. And Jesus is saying, in my judgment anyway, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these secular pursuits to going back to the fishing trade? And he responds by saying, oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, which implied that he's going to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And Jesus' response is, well, feed my lambs. The lambs are either likely young children, you know, uh, in the families of the faith, or could be recent converts in the faith. Feed them. Feed the young. Feed the newly accepted members of the Christian community. And Jesus is not quite finished yet, isn't he? Then he says again, Peter, Do you truly love me? I'm reading the the NIV translation. I'm going to suggest maybe something a little different. And he responds again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And qualifications for apostleship, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Nurture the more mature members of the sheepfold. Okay, And up up to that point, we're doing okay. But Jesus then asked Peter a third time, Peter, or rather, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then the Bible says, Peter was grieved. Uh, that may not be the actual termination. Uh, termina- uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. That's the NIV. The King James says Peter was grieved. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? Why do you suppose Peter was hurt? Well, some commentators say, well, that's easy. <laughs> he had denied Jesus three times. Now he has to commit himself three times. I think that's a little simplistic approach to it. Um, There's another little angle there I'd like to bring to your attention. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, that was his original name, of course. But when he first met Jesus three and a half years before, Jesus changed that name. And he said, I'm going to call you Peter. Now, Petros in Greek means rock or stone, or rocky. (laughs) And most of the time through the New Testament, when Peter is addressed, it's Peter, not Simon. Because, you see, Peter suggests stability, um, reliability, a rock character, you see. And Jesus says, Simon... Son of John. Are you going to be like you were before I met you? And before I have had influence in your life? I think there's there's something there. Peter may have been hurt. Lord, you told me I was dependable rock. And now you call me Simon, son of John. Simon John's son. Simon Johnson. That's the way names develop, aren't they? Don't they? So that may have been one of the reasons why he felt hurt. But there's still another factor involved here, and I think it's very important. And now I'm going to, I'd like to demonstrate to you for our benefit, to test our own response, um, to mention the help that the original language gives in this case. Because Jesus uses a different word for love than Peter uses. You know, you can read some commentators say it doesn't make any difference, and apparently the King James translators thought so because it, they just simply translate both words as love. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, Peter says, Jesus, I love you. If you read the King James, do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Uh, other translations make a quite a strong distinction Some of you may remember the Verkyle translation of the Bible. That was popular for about 20 years around the the mid-20th century. Well, that Bible translates this passage this way. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I like you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I like you. And then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you like me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. Well, that's the Verkyle translation. I think that's uh, a little off base, too. But what shall we do with this? There are some, of course, who claim that uh, the Aramaic language, the the conversational language, uh, only had one word for love. And uh, John happens to use two because the Greek language is a little richer in its descriptive uh, intent. But we believe that this Bible is the inspired word of God and that John was moved by the Holy Spirit when he wrote this. And so I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand something in this process. Because remember, it is true, he denied the Lord three times and that's a factor. Now he has to affirm his commitment to the Lord three times. But what is the difference between these two words? The words of agape, a little Greek, is the word Jesus used, and phile is the word Peter used in response. That's why we say Philadelphia. Adelphos means brother, and phile means love. So Philadelphia is the city of brother love, brotherly love. So um, we have these two words, agape, and Jesus says, and incidentally, I saved the NIV for the last because I think they do a, a pretty good job. Because you see, when Jesus says, Peter, do you truly love me? Truly isn't in the original language, but it's the dynamic equivalent You see, that's the terminology we use. Peter, yes, Peter, do you truly love me? And Peter says, Lord, I love you. The second time Jesus says, do you truly love me? Peter says, I love you. And the third time Jesus says, well, do you love me? Peter says, you know all things, you know that I love you. What's the difference between these two words? The quality is the same. Agapic love and filet love are very strong confirming of one's commitment. But there's one slight difference, and that is that agapic love never fails. That's the exact words Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, Agape, never fails. Love never fails. The word Jesus used is a word for love which endures to the end. Never fails. Can be counted on to the very end. Philos, is genuine love. But it might not necessarily last. You see what's happening here? You... You know, in our common experiences, we have this, don't we? You may have had friends in high school, in college, you may have thought you even fell in love. But or in high you know, but your life your life separated. And while the love was genuine and sincere, well, it didn't last, and that's okay. We may have had deep friendships in the past, and we don't have any connect, relationship with him anymore. But the love we had back there was genuine. Now what Peter is saying is, Lord, I really did love you back there. I wasn't faithful. Peter had learned a lesson, not to trust himself anymore. He was such a self-confident person and made all of these almost boastful statements of faith. But he had learned not to trust himself anymore because he had denied his Lord. And so when Jesus says, Peter, will you love me to the bitter end? Peter would have loved to say, oh, yeah, Lord, you count I mean, think he didn't trust himself. He's saying, Lord, my love is genuine right now, but I can't trust myself for the future. Jesus asked him the second time, will you love me and never fail? I think Peter would have wanted to say, oh, yes, Lord, but he had learned his lesson. So then Jesus says, well, do you really love me right now? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you right now. See, Peter had learned to rely on his Savior and not on himself. And we must learn that, don't we? It's not our commitment our loyalty, upon which we can be dependent, but on our Lord. And we should pray daily to keep us faithful to the end. You know, Peter proved eventually that he could have used the word Jesus used. He gave his life a martyr for the faith. He was faithful to the end once he learned to lean on Jesus.